Okay, so um, we've reached a part in this series now where, you know, we've unpacked this for three or four weeks, three or four, four um, sermons, and last Sunday was kind of like we just took a huge bite of the apple. We, we looked specifically at Jesus as a child in the temple, but we also kind of did an overview of his young life leading up to that moment, and we, we talked about how um, Jesus himself modeled something we're being invited into. We are, we are being called to grow in the grace of God. And that is a process that we go through. And so Jesus, from a young age, as he matured, he walked this out fully and perfectly. And we, we cannot do that. We won't do that. But it would be right to learn from him. Number one, because we're connected to him. The life we have is, is, is in him. It's from him. And so, so we're learning from him as the perfect son of God who was in love with and honored his heavenly father, he now wants us to learn to be connected to his father through him and to enjoy that relationship and to grow in it. And so we kind of did a big picture overview of this idea of how we grow in grace. And so we talked about how Jesus was just planted right where he was. There were hard circumstances surrounding his birth and early childhood. There were good things about it. But he was, he was planted in a specific spot that he did not choose, but he grew there and matured there. And then as he aged, he began to grow in wisdom. And so that place where he was planted, he began to put down roots. And he really learned how to use the knowledge he had received. And so he grew in wisdom, the scripture teaches. And then ultimately, as Jesus matured, he grew into a place of understanding where he, he became the teacher, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate guide. And so he became, he became a master. And so we just saw this broad glimpse of what it looks like to move from knowledge into wisdom and then understanding. Um, but that is a process. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, if you will, is like early childhood in our faith. Early childhood. What it's like when we're just in that, that baby phase with the Lord. And what I would encourage you with is um, to approach this no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, First, with a little humility that, that maybe at least in some ways you're still there. There's some ways where I can still be pretty infantile in my relationship with Jesus. And so let's have some humility and not just assume we're past that phase. But also recognize if we are in a place where we've, we've grown and we've matured and we're further down the road with the Lord, he calls us to turn around and disciple some folks. He puts us in positions where we're fathering and mothering others, maybe our own children maybe other people in our life that we have influence in their life. And so this can help equip us for how do, we, how do we love folks well that are there. Does this make sense? So this morning is kind of early childhood in our faith. And then over the next couple weeks, we'll move into that a little more. You know, what happens when we start getting into those like middle school and high school type age in our faith? And then what about, man, when we're like adults, we're moving into adulthood in our walk with God. How does he father us there? So here we go. Um, I want to I start with a passage we just briefly referenced a couple of weeks ago. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, we were talking about how God wants, wants us to, to learn to love like he loves. And so that, that begins with this childlike process. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. He's, he's not 
discounting that phase of life. He's not saying that's a bad phase of life. He's stating it as a reality. There was a time when I was a child, and so what did I look like? I looked like a kid. I talked like a kid. I acted like a kid. I thought like a kid. Like, that's the place in life where I was. My development was there. Then, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So, so we are called to grow. There is a process that we're invited into. But he doesn't diminish the early days. He just says, when it's time to move into maturity, I should be doing that. So I give myself to this process. And then he describes it. It sounds like in more vague terms, but he's kind of spiritualizing it here. He says, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. He's, he's talking like we're still kids. Like I, I'm a child. I don't see totally clearly yet. I see kind of dimly. But I, I move towards a place where I'm seeing face to face, where clarity comes, where I, I see things more clearly. I have a more accurate picture of what's really going on. Um, man, when I was a kid, like, I spent a lot of time just in my imagination and playing games, and, you know, I might learn from, from books or a show that I liked, and I'd act it out, and listen, like, when I was a kid, I'd run around in the backyard with a towel wrapped around my neck, pretending I was Superman. That was a, that, that was kind of childish behavior. My mom thought it was cute. I bet if I went home this afternoon and did that and ran around the yard with a towel tied around it, I don't think the word coming to Amy's mind would be, isn't that cute? <laughs> she should be concerned. <laughs> maybe if I'm playing with the kids and participating with them, maybe then, but no, that's just my excuse to still pretend to be Superman. Um, so, but listen, I, I, it wasn't reality, but, but I was... I was playing with ideas. I was acting things out. There is something in us that feels inspired by heroic things, for example, or that's inspired by facing difficult circumstances um, and overcoming them. And so when we're a kid, we, we wrestle through this stuff through a veil that's dim. It's not totally clear yet, but as we mature, it becomes more and more clear. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We start as a child and we move towards maturity. Listen, one of the hardest things for us as adults in our faith is to approach the Lord like a child. It takes humility, but it feels like being humiliated <laughs> to start over. I mean, imagine Nicodemus when he's talking to Jesus in the middle of the night and Jesus is saying, you must be born again. And he's like, what? <laughs> this is... This is a bro who, like, knows stuff. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He, he knows the word backward and forward. And Jesus is saying, you need to approach this as if you're being born again and starting over as a baby as you move into this relationship with God. And so it's a hard thing, but the, the message I hope you can hear this morning is let's not be insulted by the idea of starting as a child in our relationship with the Lord. Let's view it as an invitation, number one, and let's recognize it as our actual reality. My, my reality when I come to Jesus is there's a lot of stuff I don't know yet. There's a whole lot I don't know yet. So God is okay with me coming as a child, so why don't I choose to be okay with it? Jesus talked about this a little bit in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Um, people are bringing their kids to him, and his disciples are thinking, well, this is annoying and distracting, and don't let them do that. And so we pick up the story here in verse 13, and, 
And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, bless them. And the disciples rebuked them. So the disciples are telling the parents, don't do that and shooing the kids away. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He says this is the starting point. This is, this is actually right. You start right here and you move into the kingdom and then you grow and mature. So he says this is right. This is good. And I love this picture, verse 16. And then he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. See, the beauty is if we will choose to come with this childlike approach, we're going to find a loving God who wants to receive us into his arms. The reality is young kids do stuff that drive us crazy sometimes. (laughs) They talk back. They, you know, whatever. They spill milk. Like, there's a little annoyances. There's frustrations. It's shocking how young a child is when they learn the word no. It comes quick, doesn't it? And even before they have the word, they got the attitude behind the word. Like, they, they know how to communicate, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen. Um, it comes really naturally. And so what, what I hope we hear is, like, we're going to be like that sometimes. And we're not going to like the answer we hear from our father sometimes when we're being like that. But ultimately, he loves us. And, and one of the things I've been ashamed to admit over the years is how many times my kids have done something and I know it's really wrong and I should be upset and I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm like hiding my face and looking at Amy like I can't wait for the kids to leave the room so we can just crack up about what they just did because we love them. And so even some of their faults are a little endearing. It's not cute if they're like that when they're 30. Right? I'm not making it okay. We need to move forward but I love them and it's endearing. Do we think God views us like that? See, this is why it's so important to recognize how he sees us because we project our thoughts about ourselves onto him and assume he views us that way. And when I'm, when I'm blowing it, when I'm doing that, that thing, I'm thinking he's through with me and he's not. He does want me to grow he does want me to take steps forward, and he's going to help me do that. But ultimately, he, his position is, I love you, I believe in you, I'm proud of you. Sometimes your little attitude even cracks me up a little bit. But we're not going to stay like that. Let's grow. All right? So here's the, here's, here's the approach. Now, I want to look at three things together this morning. Um, I, I wish each of these I could really give more time to, but I'm going to hit some stuff in passing. I would encourage you a few of these verses. I'm, I'm just going to put them on your radar. There are places where you could slow down and marinate in it a little bit more. Um, but these are, these are kind of three important aspects of, of our walk with our Father when we're kind of in this young, childlike, infant, toddler, early elementary, you know, whatever phase you want to picture when we're kind of in that early childhood in our spiritual development, all right? The first thing is we're learning to trust God's character. I'm learning to believe I can trust dad. He's got me. He's got this. And I can trust him. 
And so the, the biblical concept for this is a concept that sounds weird and scary, but it's, it's not meant to be. And it's the idea of the fear of the Lord. It's a, it's a healthy reverence and respect that, that God is something I'm not. He's a lot bigger than me. He's a lot stronger than me. He's a lot smarter than me. Like, I mean, to a two-year-old, you're a giant. Like, you're a giant. And you know how to work miracles. <laughs> Think about that. You just put food in front of them, hot. And you place them in some machine, and you just appear somewhere else. Like, you're, you, you're miraculous to a two-year-old. Like, God is, the fear of the Lord is about recognizing how above and beyond and huge he is. And so we're going to start in the book of Proverbs here this morning because we, we have this father talking to his son about how to grow and how to mature. He says, son, this is what the process is going to look like. And so beginning in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Before I can even start to learn anything, I have to recognize and accept the proper positioning of this relationship. We are not on equal footing. I'm not sitting down with my bro to see if he's got anything I, I could learn and maybe share some of my own thoughts back. That is not the position we are in. We are in a childlike position of humility, standing in awe of our God and recognizing he knows a lot of stuff I don't. So what does he want to teach me? And I position myself to, to receive knowledge from him. And so he says, listen, there are two ways to look at life, two ways to live. With the fear of the Lord, which is the starting point, the beginning of knowledge. Or I can live like a fool and despise his wisdom and his instruction. That idea of wisdom there is like taking knowledge and knowing what to do with it. God knows how to use the knowledge he wants to give us. And the idea of instruction there actually holds within it not only both teaching you things you don't know, but correcting you when you're making mistakes. That word holds in it correction, reproof. So verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. The reality is we have to decide, am I going to be the type of person who trusts my own instinct and my own perspective and my own view on things, or am I going to position myself to begin to learn his? Am I going to trust his perspective, his wisdom, his knowledge? Am I going to recognize that in comparison to him, I don't know anything, and start from that position and let him teach me? And so... Through the next bit here in Proverbs, there's both a warning of what happens when we don't do that and an encouragement about what happens if we do. All right, so I'm going to read these quickly and we'll move on to point two. All right, the warning. Proverbs, same chapter, verse one, down in verse 29 now. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. So the ears are just being closed off to the Lord's leading and direction because I'm just trusting my own instinct. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me 
will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The, the mentality of the, few, the fool, first and foremost, rejects fear of the Lord. I'm not going to position myself under his direction and leadership. I'm not going to let him be in charge. I'm going to trust my own instinct and my own wisdom instead of trusting his higher, greater, wiser thoughts. So they move from there to then they won't take counsel from God. If I won't position myself properly, then I'm not going to take counsel from him. In other words, I won't receive direction. If he's saying go this way, I'm going to resist that and go, no, I'm going this way. I, I shift gears. I come over here instead. So I won't be led. I won't let myself be led. And not only that, then when he wants to correct us, it's, the scripture says here, not only would he have none of my counsel, but despised all my reproof. So not only will I not go in the good path he's leading me on, but when I'm off track, I won't let him bring me back on track. I won't receive correction. I, I've said this before. I know here in, in this in this group, and I've said it for years when I was doing high school ministry, somewhere along the way, we have stopped being able to receive correction. When, when we hear correction, we hear it as rejection. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something in our culture. I don't, I don't know where the breakdown happened, but I began to see this pattern over and over and over again as I was doing high school ministry. I'd, I'd sit down with a kid and have the most calm demeanor. I'm not angry. I'm not shouting. There's not even a consequence. They're not even getting punished. I'm just talking to them about a bad decision that was made. Maybe we're at summer camp or something. And I'd sit down and say, hey, you did this. It's not okay. We need to do this. And they'd go, why are you yelling at me? Why am I getting in trouble right now? Why are, and I'm like, I'm not yelling at you. And you're not actually in trouble. I'm trying to teach you something. But we have this sense that when we're being corrected, that it's a sign that we're being rejected. It's the opposite of what God's doing. His correction is actually a sign of his acceptance. You're my kid, and so I love you enough to speak truth to you. I love you enough to point you in the right direction. I love you enough to try to get you back on track. If I didn't love you, I'd just let you go. But I do love you, and so I step in and I speak truth. So he warns us, be careful, because there is something inherent in our nature that resists that. Listen, one of the, one of the reasons I'm the most convinced that we have a sin nature is because I've seen two two-year-olds play with one toy. You don't have to teach a child how to be jealous, how to want what's mine and be selfish. You don't have to teach them that. That comes naturally. We, we have a natural bent to resist leading in direction. And God says, don't be a fool. Your first step as a child is to learn to trust me. That I'm bigger and I'm smarter and I love you and I want what's best for you. So listen to my leading. Is this making sense? Yeah? Hard to do though, isn't it? It's hard to do. But he's for us and he loves us. So the invitation. There's good news. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, listen to all the words he describes about how we handle the knowledge he's giving us. I receive them. I treasure up and treasure up my commands with you. So I'm not only receiving his words, like 
I'm holding on to them with such care, it's like a special treasure. I'm making sure I don't lose it. I have been so guilty in my walk with the Lord of hearing something that I know was from him. Maybe it was in a sermon. Maybe it was in just a time of personal study and reading. Maybe it was a friend kind of looking at me and saying what needed to be said where I just knew that's exactly what I'm supposed to hear. And I received it. And then I didn't treasure it. And it was gone. We, we learn to receive and treasure what he's saying. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understand. Do we have any podcast listeners in here? One of the things I've discovered about myself as, as an avid, like just, man, if, if I've got a free minute, I'm mowing the grass, I'm driving, whatever. I'm not around, so I just pop the earbud in, I'm listening to stuff. And I feel like I learn stuff from that. But you know what I've noticed about myself a lot is I'm not attentive to what's being said, and all of a sudden I'll come to and realize Somebody's been talking to me here for 15 minutes and I totally lost track of like what they were saying, where they were at, because I'm distracted by other things. But he's talking about being attentive, listening, inclining our heart to understand. I really want to take hold of this. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. So now, not only am I receiving and being attentive, I'm pursuing it. I'm pursuing what he has to say. I'm, I'm seeking out like silver and search for it as hidden riches, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if I start with fear of the Lord, maybe not even understanding its full weight and power, but choosing to do that. God, I'm going to position myself to learn to trust in your character, that you're wise and you're strong and you're good and you love me. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Then, if I'm choosing to believe that's real, that he's that good and has that much to offer, then I'm going to begin receiving what he's saying. I'm going to listen to his commands. I'm going to attain knowledge. This means I'm giving time in my life to be a sponge. I'm soaking up what he has to say. I'm not reading the Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do, and he's mad at me if I don't every day in a row for 20 minutes every morning. No, I'm, I'm positioning myself with, with a heart and with ears that want to hear what my father's saying. And as I position myself like that, it's going to affirm where I started. He says, trust me. If you give yourself to this process and you get, a, you get further and further down the road, you're going to start gaining knowledge and you're going to realize, oh, this works. I'm beginning to understand why the fear of the Lord is so beneficial and so important because he like showed up and showed me stuff, and said things. And so then it feeds the process, because I, I began to realize I'm learning things from him. And so, God, you're good. Thank you that I can fear you. And then I continue that cycle of positioning myself to learn from him, all right? So trusting God's character, that's, that's such a huge step. But it's, a, but it's something that if we'll take the risk to do it and position ourselves to learn from him, it will build on itself. All right, number two, submit to the process. All right, so, so I position myself to fear the Lord and to learn from him. Now submit to the process. Now I spent, I spent a lot of time over the last week or two thinking about, God, like is there a good story to unpack this with? And just there's a lot of places in scripture where you see God just patiently in process with people. And 
I don't know if it was just my own opinion of landing at this spot. I felt like this was from the Lord. But I felt like, you know what? We should look at the hardest example. Instead of settling for a fun, easy one, let's just get real. The process is hard. And so I just, I found myself coming to the story of Job. You talk about a guy who submitted himself to the process of the fear of the Lord and letting God lead him. It's the story of Job. A couple things to just, just nudge us into this story and then I'll unpack it a little bit. First of all, um, most scholars believe that the book of Job is actually the oldest book of the Bible. Not chronologically, like obviously Adam and Eve came first, but the first one that was really kind of compiled together, this story of Job is the oldest one. And so with that in mind, here's the first place where we see the fear of the Lord talked about. Job 28, verse 28. Job is actually the one talking, and he's quoting God. And so Job says, And he, God, said to man, us, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Job's saying, Job's saying this in the middle of everything falling apart. In the middle of everything falling apart, he's saying God's message is to fear him, that's where wisdom's going to come from, and to turn from evil. In other words, I'm just going to start with his basic instructions. Here's things that aren't good for you. Don't go that way. Don't do that. Position myself to trust him. So Job 1.1, the story kicks off. The man is introduced to us. And Job chapter 1 verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz, or Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. I think we could say accurately, Job had already understood point one. Job has already positioned himself to trust in the character of God. This is a good guy. Blameless and upright doesn't mean perfect. It just means he's, he's living the way he's called to live. And he's walking in fear of the Lord, and he chooses to listen to God and turn from evil. That's the position he's in. So where does the story go from there? The story starts great. Job's a good guy. He has lots of stuff. We hear about the things that he has, the possessions, the animals. We hear about the children that he has. And he loses all of it. He loses all of it. In a day, it all goes sideways. He loses every single thing he's built up and established. He has seven children, and they all die. And Job is now sitting here. His life's a wreck. It's a mess. And then if that wasn't enough... His body then comes under attack, and he's got like boils and stuff on his body. He's just, he's miserable, physical pain, emotional pain. He's experienced massive loss. Job's lost everything from our perspective, everything. And what's, what's interesting about this story is we see so clearly, Job doesn't even know what's going on. Job doesn't know why this is happening. That's our position. That's our position. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't see behind the veil of what leads to every circumstance in life that transpires. There are things I can't see. Now, 
we get a little bit more information than Job gets because the story allows us a glimpse into what's happening behind the scenes. And you know what? I don't like that either. (laughs) Because it appears that God and Satan are just kind of having a little arrangement between them of like, well, have you seen Job? He's a great guy. And Satan's like, well, yeah, sure he is, but you've got him on easy street. Why don't you let me mess with his life a little bit? And God says, okay. Does that bother anybody? (laughs) That bothers me. So even the little bit of a glimpse that we've got makes no sense and seems so wrong. And so you know what I say? It's not fair. Where have I heard that before? On the lips of my (laughs) five-year-olds. There's another one you don't have to teach your kids. I don't ever remember sitting down and teaching them to say, it's not fair. Can we all figure out where that comes from? Are they learning this from your kids? Is it happening at school? Like, where does that come from? I don't have to teach them that, but they know it, man. And they have their own measure of what's fair and not. But we feel that. We have our own measure. We have our own list of like, God, what about X, Y, and Z? This doesn't seem right. This isn't fair. And so when these life circumstances come our way that just seem wrong, I either find myself in a place of declaring it's not fair or questioning why. Questioning why. And Job does find himself there. Why? What's happening? Here's here's what is important to get from the story of Job that also drives me nuts. What's important to get from the story of Job is, is the actual message God wants us to hear, not the message we're hoping to receive. Because when we get to the end of the story, we can look at it and go, okay, Job's life gets restored. He has seven more kids. He has the hope of heaven to see the seven that have gone on before. God has doubled all of his possessions. Hey, you know, it's kind of worked itself out. But you know what never works itself out in the story? God never, ever, ever in the story explains why. He gives no explanation. What he does do is he reminds Job of who he is. He reminds Job of who God is. He points back to point one. You can trust my character or not. He doesn't answer the why. Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't know all the reasons why he doesn't answer the why. But as a parent, I've got some ideas. Have you ever tried explaining a relatively complicated concept to a four-year-old? Have you ever had your kids come to you with the whys that they come with, and they think they're asking a simple question, but you realize it's actually a vastly complex question that even if I sat you down and decided to explain it all to you in detail, you couldn't even begin to comprehend? You're not there yet? Y'all experience this as parents? You know, I mean, I've had some moments where I'm just like, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't want to just discourage them and tell them, you know, nothing. 
I don't want to, like, give them a half answer. And so we just kind of stumble through it. Like, I give them a little glimpse of it. And, and then sometimes the why is coming because I've, I've made a decision, and they don't like the decision. And I've got reasons behind my decision of why they can't have candy or whatever, fill in the blank. And again, they come with the why. And from their perspective, there's no good explanation as to why not. And, and can I tell you, in this early childhood phase, you will drive yourself crazy if you try to spend all your time explaining yourself to a four-year-old. And you know what? We're actually, I don't think we're supposed to. I think we should explain things at their level of understanding, yes. But I think part of early childhood is they need to learn, trust dad. I love you, and today I said no. And you just need to listen and accept that's going to be all right. Because I said so. Now, if I'm treating my 14-year-old like they're still four, we got, another pro- we got a different problem. Like we, better, we better be starting to talk about some whys at that point. We'll, we'll get there in coming weeks. But here's the deal. As adults, I don't like the idea that I might be so infantile in my knowledge of God and in what he's up to that I couldn't possibly comprehend what he's got going on. I don't like that. It insults my intelligence. It bothers my desire to be in control and to understand things. But it is essential that we learn to receive God's no's. We need to learn to receive them and be governed by them and to accept there are some whys I don't know and there are some it's not fairs in life that I don't understand why it's not fair, but it just doesn't feel right. It feels wrong. It feels hurtful. It's discouraging. But here's what's interesting about this story. As God unpacks for Job his response, it starts in verse, in, in, sorry, it starts in chapter 38, God's response. And you could read through 38, 39, 40 as God is responding to Job. But I, I want to give you a sense of this because God is saying to him what we're saying right now. Job 38, 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's saying, You're muddying the waters. You're seeing through the glass dimly. You don't see clearly. Who is this? He says, Okay, you want to have this conversation? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. <laughs> hey, you're tired of being treated like a child and trusting me? Okay, then man up. Let's talk. (laughs) That's a scary moment right there. I do not envy Job in that moment. God says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and and you make it known to me. Okay, then you teach me what's really going on. Verse four, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God just reminds him of who he is. And he's like, buddy, you just don't get it. There's things you don't know. Chapter 40, verse 8. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? God says, Job, consider the proper positioning here. And so God unpacks and reminds Job of his strength, of his character, of who he is. And when he's done talking... Job is not discouraged, he's encouraged. 
I love Job's response. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he responds to God's first question. Who is this that hides or darkens counsel without knowledge? He says, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. He's quoting God again. And he says, all right, verse five. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Guys, here's the, here's the secret to this, all right? When we are positioning ourselves to be submitted to the process God is taking us through, we have to learn to move from the why to the who and the what. I've got to decide, am I willing to lay down some of those whys and move into trusting and believing in who he is and say, okay, God, then what do you want me to do? What's this look like? I'm not, listen, I'm only teaching one message this morning. I'm not saying that we don't get to places in life where as we grow, we mature, we wrestle with him a little bit. He begins to give us insight. I believe that. But sometimes we demand that as a two-year-old demanding, I want my candy. Instead of realizing we have a father who loves us and he's saying, will you trust me? Will you accept that there are things I know and understand that you don't and that I do have your best interest at heart and I am leading you down a good path that brings life? Will you choose to fear me and trust me? And when you realize that I'm giving you knowledge along the way, we can't get to a place of wisdom and understanding if we skip past knowledge. We've got to be willing to position ourselves to learn from God and to be corrected by him. God, what do you want to teach me that I don't know? And what behaviors in me do you want to correct that are for my good and my benefit? And that will land us at point three. If I'm trusting in God's character and I'm submitting to the process, then number three, there will be growth in my character. The way I move into a place of wisdom, wisdom is the yeses of God. Wisdom is he's giving me permission to do some things. My character has to be in a place that I can be trusted with things he wants to give me to do. And so I submit myself to gaining knowledge and to being shaped and molded by him and my character growing and maturing. And then he can begin to hand me things in his wisdom that bring me into a place of wisdom because I can be trusted with his yeses because I've learned how to handle his no's. Is this making sense? Okay. In closing... This could be some stuff y'all could soak on later, but I, I want to read this before we get out of here. But in closing, there's a few passages that in the New Testament that highlight this idea of moving from infant into childhood. And I believe this is, this is the process that we can position ourselves in to receive from him. So here we go. Growth in character starts here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk 
that by it you may grow up into salvation. Feast on the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. Read the gospels. Let them get into your heart. Go through those early letters to the church. They, they guide us into what it looks like to live out our faith. Let that truth and knowledge get into you. Newborns eat the same thing every three or four hours over and over and over again. But it's enriched with such nutrients. It's exactly what they need. So let's position ourselves in humility to have, have just deep knowledge. Take it in. Don't assume like, oh, I've already heard the story of Jesus. I already know about what he did at the cross. Yeah, but do you, do you hear what he did at the cross for you? Are you seeing it today? I mean, we were just, Alex, you were talking about that this morning. Grab hold of it for yourself. Job says, I'd heard about you, but now I see you. This knowledge is becoming personal. I don't want to get too graphic here, but like this is as personal as it gets. There is, a, there is a unique, beautiful bonding that's happening there between mother and child through that nursing process. And it is giving life on levels we can't even begin to comprehend. There's, a, there's deep emotional connection. There's love and embrace and you belong here. And, and there's practical, physical nutrients that are bringing growth. Let's position ourselves to, to sit in his arms and be fed by him. We move on, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. I, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I just need to repeat it here this morning. Paul's now writing, he's talking about spiritual leaders in our lives, people that God puts in our lives, mother and father figures. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. A huge part of humility and fear of the Lord is positioning ourselves to receive from imperfect people. Every spiritual father figure in my life, I have been so grateful for what I've learned from them, and I am really aware of their faults and shortcomings. So I just reject them because they make mistakes and are imperfect. God, God places the leaders in our lives that we have. Let's learn from them. And finally, Hebrews 5. This kind of tells us how we, how we are moving from childhood and starting to get older. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So it starts with repetition of teaching, the pure milk. And then as I'm taught, then there's constant practice. I'm learning what's right, I'm learning what's good, and now I'm doing it. I'm constantly practicing it. And what that will do is it will move me from needing milk into starting to eat solid food. And I start growing in maturity. So start with that simplicity. Receive what he has to feed us. Start applying it. Listen to his nose. Learn his laws. Learn his ways. Learn his commands. It's personal. It's intimate. He's right there. Submit ourselves to the process. And as we grow in character, we're going to be able to start eating some really good stuff. Eventually, 
there was going to be filet on the menu. As a steak lover, I get excited about a good filet. <laughs> All right? He loves us. He's for us. He's fathering us. Will we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord, submitted to the process of what that's going to look like, and allow him to produce character in us as we walk humbly with that childlike approach? May this be true of us, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. What God wants to do in his church globally, in this church right here, he wants to do in us individually that we would position ourselves to be in the fear of the Lord and recognize he's present and intimate and comforting us even as he maybe stretches us in some Job-like seasons where we get some hard no's that are somehow for our benefit even though we can't see it. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray more and more in my own heart and the hearts of my friends here today that we would entrust ourselves into your hands. God, it's, it's so easy to misunderstand you, to view you through the glass darkly, to view you through the imperfect lens that we wear. God, I, I pray that in the midst of the ways that we can't see clearly, that we could at least choose to walk in the fear of the Lord, that we could choose to believe that there is knowledge an insight that you have that we don't. God, may we position ourselves humbly before you. Lord, may we submit ourselves to the process of learning the direction you want to point us in and learning the things you're telling us to stay away from. God, I pray that we would learn to receive the no's from you and that it would move us more and more into a place of maturity and growth. God, I pray that for my own life. pray that over the lives of my kids. God, I pray that over, over this church body. Lord, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord and receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That we would grow and mature as we're in process with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.